Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Yeah, we have orange chairs and we sit down and we, and we yarn whilst the washing's on. So how do we really embody that um, through a word? And it started off as Friends of Orange Sky and then we just dropped the of Orange Sky and just went to Friends. And I think culturally it's been such a critical thing is that, you know, 90% of our volunteers probably couldn't tell you our mission statement or our values or anything, but they know the word Friends and I think that really just embodies all of it. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello everyone and welcome once again to the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose podcast, which is a collaboration between GovComs and the University of Adelaide's Dr. Taylor Wilmot and Professor Jody Conjute. What we are doing is following their Australian Research Council funded Collective Engagement for Social Purpose project and research and as we go along on that research having discussions with people along the way not just about the research but about some of the great people involved in social impact and collective impact around Australia. Now we have had uh, a couple of early episodes probably episodes one and two. Now if you've arrived at this particular episode and you haven't listened to one and two, maybe dive back and have a listen to those because it'll give you the background um, as to where uh, the research project has come from, the problem that it's focused on, and that'll give you the context that will really help you to understand and, and really bring meaning to today's discussion because I'm absolutely delighted um, today that we've been uh, joined by one of Australia's, you know, really impressive young social entrepreneurs, Lucas Patchett. Now, Lucas is the 2016 Young Australian of the Year, and he was a in 2020 awarded the Order of Australia Medal for his work with his social enterprise Orange Sky, which is the world's first free mobile laundry and shower service for people experiencing homelessness. Now, Lucas plays a critical role as both the co-founder and chief executive officer of Orange Sky in setting the strategic direction and managing key relationships with all of their supporters, which I'm sure are many and varied. One of the key objectives that Orange Sky has set themselves in their five-year strategy is to help 40,000 friends by 2025. Uh, What a great, noble, uh, and hopefully uh, achievable objective to be able to help 40,000 friends with both free mobile laundry and shower. Now, Lucas joins me on the line. So welcome to you, Lucas Patchett. Thanks so much for having me. And also, we are joined by one of the lead researchers on this particular project, uh, the University of Adelaide's Dr. Taylor Wilmot. So, uh, Dr. Wilmot, thanks you for joining us also uh, on this episode of the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose podcast series. Thanks, David. So listen, um, Lucas, beginning at the beginning is probably a good place to start. So tell us the story. 
Where did the idea come from and how did you take that idea and move it to action to the, the great success that you've been able to create? Yeah, absolutely. And the story for Orange Sky really started um, a few years before Orange Sky kicked off in high school. My best mate Nick and I went to school together and, and our school actually ran a food service for people doing it tough. So we had this opportunity when we were 15 to head out, cook breakfast for people a kilometre from where we went to school um, who were sleeping in the park or sleeping crisis accommodation centres around that that centre. And I think for both of us, it really sparked this curiosity around why is this such a massive issue in our own backyard? You know, doing a bit more digging, found 116,000 people on any given night are homeless here in Australia. And um, Nick and I were really challenged by that, but also curious as to, you know, what could we do or what could we, how could we help um, in more ways than just providing food or providing tea and coffee, which is what we'd sort of had that experience when we were 15. So so sort of left school, went to uni and worked full time and kind of left that part of our life behind us. And uh, yeah, a trip overseas and, and on the second day I was back catching up with Nick for, for breakfast and we started talking about this idea of, well, how amazing that opportunity at school was to give back, to volunteer, to provide a really practical way, but could we do something a little bit different? So started throwing ideas around and, and eventually land on this simple but crazy idea of two washers, two dryers in the back of a van and then said, well, there's, you know, there's no time like the present, let's give it a crack and um, convince a company to give us some washing machines, some dryers. Um, we you know, registered a, a business name and, and started going down the registration for a charity. And um, yeah, Orange Car kicked off a couple of months later with our, our first wash in, um, in Brisbane. And that was October 2014. So now eight years on, we've ticked over 2 million kilos of washing. We've um, done over 25,000 safe hot showers, got 2,500 volunteers every week going to 300 locations across Australia and New Zealand. And, and so it's um, really ballooned into something much bigger than what we initially thought, but it was a, a pretty simple but crazy idea for, from when we started. It's a, what an amazing story, and um, I can't wait till you tell us about the ups, the downs, um, you know, how you started to solve problems, because I'm sure as soon as you began, um, it's really just been probably one one problem after another, after another, after another, and it really interested in how you go about that in order to create this sort of collective impact um, that you've been able to have. But I do want to take you back to those very early days as a 15-year-old, having those conversations with people obviously less well-off. What were some of the things that were said to you back then and how did it make you feel when you were having these conversations with people who were you know, having challenges in their life and, and they were homeless. And, and do you remember it? And do you remember how it made you feel? Yeah, I remember being 15 and um, a few key parts. But one was to, to head out on the van. All you need to do was sign your name up at the office and then the next week almost you were out. And so it was really low barrier to entry. It was really simple culturally at the school. It was actually a really big part of it wasn't an unusual thing to do. Like the majority of the, the kids that went through school actually participated in that, that van. I can remember the first morning going out and you, know, you get to school nice and early about six o'clock and and head out on shift and and as we um as we got there you know the person who's sort of the the driver and a bit of the leader of the shift is, is says you know only a couple of you need to cook cook a barbecue the rest of you just go out and have a chat and i can remember chatting to this um young indigenous lady who um you know was experiencing domestic violence she was um living on the streets and and as a 15 year old you know from a, a super privileged and lucky upbringing I all of a sudden had those moments of you know those aha moments of you know, how could this be such a massive issue a kilometer from where I went to school every day there were people doing it so so tough and and yeah talking to 
talking to her and then talking to multiple other people is another another fella harry who you know, is just like my granddad or my uncle he's got you know the same stories that go on and on forever and, and all these bad <laughs> jokes and, and yet he um he he's he was sleeping on the on the streets at that point and he's he's now still connected as part of our own sky but he's, he's in accommodation now but i think he's one of those those people that um, stay connected and 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 it just reminds you that it's one or two or three little things can go wrong in someone's life and you can find yourself in a pretty pretty tough situation and so at the age of 15 having that opportunity having that experience but then really that growing and cascading into to what it is now is um yeah one of the great privileges of my life Mm. so you said that you went overseas and probably left all of that sort of social justice stuff behind and probably went and visited countries and had a good time but then it was when you came back you sort of reignited that that conversation so can you tell me a little bit about that conversation with nick and you know those very early days of trying to find you know the 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 social enterprise that was going to have an impact and and maybe what were some of the other ideas that you were kicking about at the time uh that weren't orange sky that you thought were going to be able to solve a problem yeah i think we um we're really fascinated with this idea of being mobile and bringing services to people. And I think that was one thing born out of the food vans is that it was, you can create these pop-up communities quite quickly, but then also disperse. So then it's really flexible. You can take it any time. You can do, um, you can have a different approach for different communities and per city even you can have a, a different approach based on the type of vehicle. And, and so we're really fascinated with this idea of being mobile and also providing services for people experiencing homelessness. So I suppose those two things, and, and Nick had actually sketched this truck with washing machines in it, I remember, even before I went overseas, and, and it was just sitting in his notebook for, for, for a little while and, and coming back from overseas. Again, no uni, no work at this point. I was sort of trying to find my way into, you know, what was what was going to take up a bit, bit of my time from when I got back. And, and um, yeah, it was just a bit of serendipitous timing, I think. We also no family no mortgage like we could really take the plunge and, and take the risk in, in that space and and i think so it was once we we had the idea started chatting to a few different suppliers about how how we could make it work and um yeah it really just started snowball from there so we spoke about you know a different food van we spoke about showers in the first instance to but then we said well actually let's just do one thing do it well give it a go and then we can we can build on it from there and and that um, I think has been a, a really key foundation to to what we do now. Is this, it's it's really simple. It's doing a couple of things really well, and then plugging in and collaborating with other service providers to to make the biggest impact possible. So, from a, a sketch in a notebook, um, you mentioned suppliers. Were they the first conversations that you were having, or did did you speak to local councils? Did you speak to government? Did you speak to other NGOs? Who were some of those other people that you were having conversations with? And then how were you sort of presenting the proposition to them that, uh, you know, two young guys with a sketch could actually deliver on on the promises? I suppose working our way through the, the priorities almost of, well, we had this idea and we said, well, how, do we, how are we going to make this come to life? Um, Nick and I ran a different project. We had, a, had an old van. So we said, well, let's use that van. And then we the first almost problem we need to solve was how do we get this to technically work and at the same time well where are we going to take it who's it going to help also talking to people that were potentially going to use the service and that we used to you know see out on the school food van as well so i think that almost the, 
end recipients obviously is a key part of it. Those different service providers that we were going to partner with, which again started with the school food van, but then started to blossom out from there, both from a big not-for-profit NGO through to a local community centre through to someone who you know, puts a barbecue on once a week for, for people in, in their community. So there's a, a broad range of stakeholders in that space. Councils, obviously we operate in some council parks as well, so having starting to have those conversations, um, the whole, I, th- I think, um, yeah, so there's a, the whole spectrum in terms of who we were connecting with and, and it was, but it was also tackling one thing at a time, I think, and it's pretty hard to convince someone what we're trying to do without actually having a tangible product. So that was a key focus for us first was actually once you could see, touch, feel the van, it actually made it a lot easier. So we said, we funded it ourselves. We said, let's give it a go and let's just um, make it happen because we didn't want it to be a blocker or we didn't want to spend 12 months trying to raise money to get something together. We said, well, if we build something and then people can see it, touch it, feel it, engage with it, we can start providing an impact. We can start bringing volunteers on then it's going to create that momentum um, a little bit easier than a hypothetical sketch in a notebook or in a, um, yeah, something like that. So I think tangi- tangibles also, tangibility is a really important part of Orange County, what we do as well, because it, it is really hands-on, it's really practical, it's really tangible, and that started with, with the first van Sudsy um, and, and getting, it, getting it going. And even for, you know, it's a pretty challenging thing for a council or for a government is that we don't fit in a box necessarily. There wasn't a, there's not a, form to tick for operating a mobile laundry in a park there's um you know community gardens and there's weddings and there's there's different things but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fit in a box it's, it is definitely was some of those challenging conversations early around what would it look like and, and and what could it look like but i think um once we had that yeah tangible product and people could touch and, and feel it and, and engage with it as, as well to um, get a better outcome so were most people supportive straight away or did you face considerable barriers to your idea i'm always a mixed bag i think but also we talk about a challenge is part of our dna and problem solving is you know one thing that both nick and i really love so i think that it's how do we how do we flip some of those challenges into a positive? Um, so if that's, you know, how do we, how are we going to operate in a park, which is, you know, how do we then fit in within the existing framework or actually show people it works and, and then start to go on that journey or, or start in a, you know, local, in a local business and then start to prove the impact and prove the demand of those services. Um, a little bit of, you know, in the early days, ask for forgiveness, not permission um, as, as well. And I think that's an important part of, getting started and, and even being being young, you know, we were 20 when we were starting this up and, and so some people that's a massive tick and it's like bloody earth boys, like get on with it and then for other people it's like, oh, you're going to, in six months you're going to be over this and you're going to be trying to focus on something else. So I think it was a, it, with everything, a, a mixed bag um, but I think for us it was a really strong vision, a really tangible product and a also not a, like we weren't trying to take over the world the first step was get the van to work. Second step was, well, where else can we operate it? And let's refine the model. Third step was then start to bring volunteers on board. Fourth step then is start to, you know, bring that volunteer leadership structure on board so we can put the second van on the road. So it's step by step, I think, to to get to that bigger vision. But um, and not trying to, you know, it, it can be scary if you're saying, oh, we're going to have 10 laundry vans popping up around the place. And, and that can be quite scary for councils or for governments. But 
Um, so how do we yeah, take people on that journey and, and go step by step as, as well? How important was it to have the vision, though, to be able to communicate that to people, to, to have it to be simple and clear? Obviously, you've mentioned also having the, the tangible uh, product or service um, delivery vehicle there to be able to show people. But what about the importance of of vision and of narrative and of being able to get people excited that you're going to be really helping to solve an important and obvious um, problem in the community. Yeah, I think um, narrative is and still is and, and was such a critical part of what we do and that's how we articulate the people that we help are just one or two steps away from us or from our uncle or auntie or, or cousin or, or whatever it might be and, and so starting to build that empathy i think is really important and challenge stereotypes i think within the homelessness space it's a lot of cardboard boxes cardboard signs and like it's all negative it's all geared around negativity and actually how do we flip that to positivity narrative talking about you know it's a pretty pretty terrible thing that that happens to people but also how do we take the positives within that or or shine a light on on that and, and tell those stories i think is really important purely from a user perspective but also from a volunteer perspective as well as we've got volunteers who are lonely and isolated and, and their volunteering shift once a week is actually their connection to the community so it's, it's bi-directional as well for us for, for people that we impact and, and also from volunteer perspective and, and then from a vision perspective I think it's mm. like we weren't in those early days I remember maybe after a few months we said oh we want to go Australia wide and and um but didn't you know throw that out there and say, oh, we want 10 bands, we want 15 bands, whatever it might be. Um, but then it's really just chipping away at it one by one. And, and once we had a little bit of momentum starting to turn and, and once we knew the demand was there and we knew that you know volunteers were interested and, and donors would start to support it, then it really started to snowball from there, I think. And, and so the vision um, kept evolving, um, but also um, but was grounded in ultimately you know, helping people, expanding, engaging volunteers, um, and, and supporting people on their homelessness journey, I think. And, and also for us, it's homelessness is a really scary, hard, wicked, you know, social issue. And we're not proclaiming that we're the solution to homelessness. We, we want to work in the space. We want to collaborate. We know that we need to, um, you know, work really closely with lots of different people to, to support people on their, on their journey. And, and if we can make someone's life a little bit easier on that on that journey, then that's you know we're we're doing an okay job, I think. So it's it's really knowing knowing that space and knowing knowing that place as well, um, because we, yeah, it is like I said, such a wicked problem, and, and we're not building houses, um, but we're working with lots of groups that you know can support people and, and can provide that that greater support. But ultimately, if we're the first interaction that someone has, you know on their journey and, and if we can make that that transition or that journey a little bit easier then that's ultimately what we want to do is connect people and, and connect communities mm. i'm interested um in your insights around that collaboration piece and how does um all of the various actors in the space you know work together effectively but before we come to that particular question i i do note that in your narrative and and, and your sto- storytelling your, your choice of um the word friends who you're helping and that um, the five-year strategy is talking about helping 40,000 friends by 2025. It's such a powerful word. Um, and where did you find, where, how did you land on that particular word 
to describe the the people who are using your services? Yeah, absolutely. A, and language is so important. And I remember it was one of those early days. Probably we'd been taking the van out for about a month, and and we're sitting in Nick's kitchen, and every provider we went to, and that's your you know massive. Or international or national charities, through to the local community centre, through to you know the 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 battler that cooks a barbie in the park every fortnight for people doing it tough. So it's like this. I think that's one of the challenges in the space is you've got massive government or government funded organisations through to these really like small like do gooders, but that has negative connotations. Not like everyone's contributing, um, and you've got that really broad spectrum. But when we're talking to people. Everyone was talking about clients, customers, patrons, um, and it just was a bit clinical, I think. And, and so we said, well, actually, we don't have, you know, we don't have Perspex fences or we don't have, you know, we have orange chairs and we sit down and we, and we yarn whilst the washing's on. So how do we really embody that um, through a word? And it started off as friends of Orange Sky and then we just dropped the of Orange Sky and just went to friends. And I think culturally it's been such a critical thing is that, you know, 90% of our volunteers probably couldn't tell you our mission statement or our values or anything, but they know that we're friends. And I think that really just embodies all of it and brings it to life every day. And, and ultimately it's a leveler and it's, you know, we're there and we're providing, it's a, like I said before, it's a bi-directional service. It's not a, you know, one way here, you must fit in this box and you have to do this in order to do this. It's really just a non-judgmental space that people rock up to. And, and some people do their washing, some people have a shower, some people just come along to have a chat. And I think that that's a, a powerful part of the, the service is, is definitely, but it's grounded absolutely in friendship and, and conversation. Yeah. Wow. I just, that, that, that is just so powerful. And you look at that word and you hear that word and everything that that word brings with it in terms of this association, it just brings dignity um, to, you know, to the friends um, who I'm sure are struggling with all sorts of other challenge. But if they know that they're, you know, they can engage with friends when they engage with Orange Sky. That's just, you know, creates such a powerful um, um, relationship. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, congratulations on being able to f- identify that and, and use it as a way to create social impact. Now, I do want to ask you before we come back to um, Dr. Wilmot from the University of Adelaide, who's running this uh, research program into collective engagement for social purpose and to get her reflections on the the orange sky story but this is a crowded space there are a lots lots and lots of players as you said who are there um, using lots of different words to describe um, the people who are involved um, how do you work together how how do you find is the best way to to bring those diverse groups with um, diverse objectives, perhaps even diverse priorities. How do you uh, walk alongside, walk with um, and collaborate effectively? What's what's your attitude towards that? And and what are some of the methods that you use to cooperate and collaborate with people? Yeah, it's it's one of our values is collaborative partnerships. And we firmly believe that we can't do stuff by ourselves and we're not the only ones in this space. And, And also there's been organizations that have operated in this space for a hell of a lot longer than we we have and and people that dedicate um, their lives to researching to providing service and and i think it's because of the complexity of the issue you need that breadth and you need the lots of different strategies and 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 whatnot to support people i think but also we're not perfect in the space like we're 
made good steps in terms of every shift we operate is always in partnership with someone. It, if that's a food van, a soup kitchen, a, a healthcare clinic, a local community centre, or a housing provider, there's um, you know a litany of different different providers that we work with across the country. I'd say that we're starting to now collaborate even further in terms of how do we really curate pathways for people? How do we train our volunteers really well to know you know what are the key service providers in the location? Ultimately, they're the ones on the coalface providing the service, but it's it can be you know I don't know the all the different providers in Adelaide or in Perth or, or in um, in Darwin, um, but the volunteers, the more we can invest in supporting them to to know those know that space, the, the better. And then I think from a how do we then start to work more at a higher level as well in terms of Orange Sky's been super lucky in, in how we've grown and how we've been able to um, evolve. And, and now we're at this point where we've got all these touch points with people, you know, we're just rich data set and this rich um, opportunity to, you know, get the sentiment of thousands of people every week purely by the the geographic spread, by the um, different providers that we work with the um, and the breadth of the service that we, we provide, which is a pretty unique position um, for any other, because a lot of other orgs, orgs are federated models and might not have that um, that overall like sort of national and, and in New Zealand approach as well. So I think that we've got an opportunity in the next little while and we're starting to look at that and starting to have those conversations around, well, how do we then ultimately, Orange Sky doesn't want people on the streets. Like it's a shitty existence and, and no one should um, have to live, live, live rough. Um, so how do we then, how do we ultimately make an impact on, on, on that cohort and, and either stop it from happening altogether or shorten the time it happens as short as possible and at the worst, make it a little bit more bearable for people whilst they're on that journey and on that transition as well. So I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity. What, what Orange Sky is greatest at is building relationships, having conversation and doing it over a load of washing or a shower. And I think that those foundational things, like you can't help someone unless you know them or unless you walk with them and, and build a relationship. And, and especially for some people who are, you know, have been done over by the system, have trust and, you know, real challenges in terms of trust and, and whatnot with, you know, if it's religious organisation or government or, or whatever. And, and Orange Sky is not denominational, it's non, um, you know, non-government and it's, it's just a a grassroots effort of, of people helping out. And um, I think that that puts us in a really unique position to help even further. Are we nailing at the moment? We're doing some things pretty well. Other stuff could be a lot better. Are we really committed to doing that as part of the future? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. We'll come to the future in a minute because I'm, I'm interested to know where you are going to sort of point this um, social enterprise in, into the future. But I do want to come to, to, to Dr. Wilmot, but I just want to sneak one more question in, if I may, um, before we do that. And that's around this um, notion of volunteering, because you've mentioned it, and clearly it's a, you know, you have a, an army of volunteers who are working with you across so many of the, um, you know, locations across Australia. But there are so many choices that people could um, direct their efforts um, so many places that they could volunteer at how do you go about your acquisition of uh, of people coming on board um, to have those conversations uh, you know to build those relationships how is it that you um, appeal and attract people to come and volunteer for your organization as opposed to going and volunteering for another organization 
yeah, it's, it's definitely a, we've been lucky in the journey we've been on, but it's an ongoing challenge in terms of keeping and retaining people um, from an organisational sense. I think core things that it comes back to for us is being simple. So how do we make it as simple as possible to volunteer? Like people don't want to jump through a million hoops if they're actually volunteering their time. Like I think, so how do you make it really simple? And that one is how do you make it really impactful? So we're lucky in the sense that 99% of our volunteering jobs are out on the streets and no matter what we say or thank or give people, you know, orange scar T-shirts or whatever it might be, which is all goes into it. But ultimately the thanks that someone gets when someone jumps out of the shower and they haven't had a shower for a couple of days or they've done their weekly load of washing with orange sky, you've had a really amazing conversation with someone, like that pales in comparison to anything that we can do. So how do we actually make it as simple and impactful for people to, to, to volunteer? And that's, you know, what the majority of our work goes into in terms of even how we make the like nothing in an Orange Sky context frustrates a volunteer more than when the van doesn't work. Because if the van doesn't work, that means that someone's stopped from helping people or they need to give someone back, you know, washing that's not fully completed or have to, you know, pull up stumps a little bit early or whatever it might be. So how do we make that as reliable, as important as, as possible? So it's, I think, really simple things um, for volunteering. Also being clear, I think, with how we the time and the commitment and, and, and whatnot in that the value again, both from a volunteer and from a friend perspective, isn't actually on your first shift or your first five shift. It's probably six months down the track where you've actually started to form really nice connections, really nice relationships, and you've got these you know, webs of, of, of friendships that are the forming. Of, you know, I was out on shift this morning in Brisbane and chatting with the volunteers and seeing you know some of those volunteers have been there for seven or eight years and the relationships that they have and the confidence they have and and how those people and relationships have evolved over time is just, you know, every day I'm, I feel um, lucky to be a, be a part of that and, and through to a volunteer, you know, as a volunteer there this morning who's only been volunteering for a couple of months and so then the sort of other volunteers have taken them under their wing and, you know, taken them on that journey and, and then, um, but then they won't, you know, they'll be on that journey and, and six months, 12 months down the track, then they'll start to have those really strong relationships and, and foundations as, as well. So I think it's, yeah, impactful, simple, um, and having those expectations like clarified for everyone at, at the start. And, and again, we've done some stuff pretty well in there. We've also stuffed a lot of stuff up. And um, so how do we keep keep getting better, I think, is the other one. Like ultimately we're, I'm here to learn and, and grow. And um, so how do we continue to, as long as we're getting better, then um, that's one of the things I'm passionate about. So listen, uh, Dr. Wilmot, really the, the gold standard in an organisation that started from a conversation and then a sketch in a notebook and then two young men deciding that they were actually going to do something, turn it into action and to be able to roll through what they've been able to do. There's so many elements to this, isn't there, in terms of being able to draw together a coalition across many, many areas to be able to deliver on you know, the promise of collective impact and collective engagement. So what are your reflections on the story of Orange Sky? I think one of the key takeaways is the importance of relationships, which we have, that's been a common thread throughout the project, Um, particularly when you're dealing with complex, wicked problems and that focus on collaborative partnerships that Orange Sky has um, all the way through to it being a grass. 
roots level effort and engaging with community as as friends and delivering that value to both friends as as well as volunteers is probably what I would say have been the key lessons um, that I've learned through listening to the Orange Sky story. But also that innovative mindset, I think, is being probably another key element to um, that story that I would like to reflect on further and, you know, how that looks like in the non-for-profit space is, is a slightly different um, than may have been in the commercial space. But I think Orange Sky has proved that it can compete, I guess, with, with those organisations that do um, have, you know, a bottom line and commercial objectives in order to to move forward and grow the organisation into the future. Um, so, yeah, it's been a pleasure to listen to the to the conversation again. But it's it's quite powerful, though, isn't it? And it, it, it really is a mindset when challenges uh, and setbacks um, arrive and on the face of it they are, you know, you know, they, they take the wind out of your sails and you do think that they are, oh, you know, this is a terrible thing. But um, as Lucas was saying before, it's like they've developed this mindset where it's like, well, okay, where's the good in this? Where's the opportunity and how do we adapt? So again, I think that that could be a powerful mi- uh, insight, isn't it, around um, that collective ability to be able to move from what seems like a serious setback to a no, it's not. It, it, it's not that. What it is is a is, is a major opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Lucas's words was um, challenge or problem solving is part of their DNA. So I think that says it all that, of how their mindset is around tackling complex um, problems. And as you say, David, not necessarily seeing it as a setback, but maybe an opportunity for growth. And what's come through in t- to me anyway, talking to Lucas there is this just this. You know, reservoir of humility in the way that they've that, that um, Nick and and Lucas and the team have gone about, you know, building this this organisation. You know, and it's they're not there to to do anything other than to deliver on the promise of you know we'll 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 talk to you, we'll give you a shower, and we'll clean your clothes. And that that ability to keep it simple, um, create experiences not only for the friends, but also for the volunteers who are also part of this friends network. But in your research, just how important is it that, you know, humility be nested into these organisations such that people will support them and people will grow with them? I think humility is a, a key part of being able to develop partnerships. So as Lucas said, you know, they're not here to solve the problem of homelessness on their own. Um, They recognise that everyone has a role to play and contribute. And I think that model of focusing on one or two things and doing them really well, uh, as well as, you know, feeding into other service providers and um, community centres, for example, and being able to have that mindset of let's involve people so that we can have greater collective impact it is is you know probably underpins some of the foundation of the work that um orange sky does so listen lucas then for you from here where when you look out a little bit further and i know you you know to set those visions um 
and to you know to stay in the moment and to keep it simple to keep it impactful to continue to learn the lessons to continue to improve was another um, uh, idea that you sort of presented a moment ago this notion of yeah you know on the face of it things look fantastic but you know there's a lot lot going on that um, is probably not working as well as you would like it to to work with where, where are the next big challenges for you and where you're going to be able to have those next um, big impacts? Yeah, it's, and Orange Sky's evolved a lot over the last um, eight years and in, in that we started very much focused around those metro centres for people experiencing homelessness. Uh, we've now evolved into doing showers. We've now evolved into doing work in remote Aboriginal communities providing access to health hardware. Um, so we've now got, we last week launched our 10th service in remote, a remote Aboriginal community here in Australia. So the heap of need and there's a heap of really simple and good work that Orange Sky can do in those those communities to you know, tackle health outcomes and massive health inequity issues that are happening in our own backyard. Um, so I think that's a big strategic focus for us. And the other one is how do we really bring the service to every and any community? So we've recently started uh, running shifts out of laundromats in some smaller communities across the country where people pull on an Orange Sky shirt, go down to the local laundromat and, and we invite people, friends from the communities come in and, and do the washing for free at those communities. So it's almost, we've now got this spectrum of, you know, no no capital required, start up immediately in any community and, and really democratise almost Orange Sky services all the way through to, you know, multiple vans and, and hundreds of volunteers in, in different cities. So for us, it's about continuing to grow, providing that service that um, to as many people that need it across the, the country and based on you know, the trajectory that we're heading on, um, getting to... 40,000 people in 2025 is um, kind of that North Star metric for us at the moment, but simultaneously, like I was talking about before, starting to build, well, now we've got this, you know, width of different service offerings and, and locations and geographies and people that we're connecting with. So how do we then, you know, if we can find one way to help people a little bit further. So, you know, really tangible example is a lot of our shifts around the country will have a hairdresser come out and do haircuts. We had people throughout COVID giving COVID vaccines out on shift. We've you know, because we've got this safe space that people trust us um, with their time and with their, their possessions. So how do we then um, utilise that without violating that trust, but really start to go take people on that, that journey as well. So it's continuing to leverage that, continuing to, to grow, provide the services to communities that need it, and continuing to build that the Orange Sky narrative and story as well in terms of more volunteers, um, more people helped, and more people in that community that, that make it happen as, as well. So I think... One thing which I haven't touched on too much is around our supporters and you know, Orange Sky is a not-for-profit that's funded purely by the generosity of the public and that's one thing I'm really passionate about is that the community that we operate in are the communities that volunteer for it, the communities that utilise it, but it's also the communities that fund it as well. So again, the shift I was at this morning, the hotel across the road, you know, every couple of weeks they'll bring out some shampoos and conditioners and, and hand them out to people on the streets there. They've also donated to us in the past as well and that's a... You know, they're directly across the road from us and, and they use that as an opportunity to, to lean in and support further, whereas it could, in some cases, it can go the other way as well. So how do we you know, really keep inspiring and, and bringing communities together? Mm. So what does that funding mix look like for Orange Sky? So we're um, not-for-profit, so predominantly funded through the generosity of the public, so corporate partners, philanthropists, um, grants, and then um, everyday people jumping on the website and supporting us through to you know, schools doing fundraisers and stuff for us as well. So... Um, it's kind of 97% of our funding. We have had a small portion of government funding in the past, but not no funding currently from, from the government. And then we also have a few sort of sustainable revenue streams that we're trialling in terms of 
um, some commercial opportunities, both in selling merchandise, selling a software platform, and also we've um, got a little um, laundromat in Adelaide as well that we um, is open to the public for people to utilise as, as a commercial laundromat as well. So a few different things that we're trialling to, you know, what does the op shop for Orange Sky look like? Um, and so how do we build that? But ultimately it comes back to the power of the community and, and yeah, 97% of our funding comes through donations and, and corporate support and, and philanthropy. Now, you also mentioned in an earlier answer around the access to data and you you are having these conversations in multiple locations across Australia every day and clearly uh, trust has been mentioned um, as you assemble that, that data. But how do you go about assembling that data and then how do you use it to continuously improve the services that you offer? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, probably another thing we saw early on is that some places you'd go and in, in, in order to engage with the service, you'd actually need to fill out a double page A4 of you know all this very in-depth, which sometimes link back to the government funding or whatever the, the groups might be might be capturing. So for us, all we capture um, is pretty high-level data around obviously time, location, um, how many people we we did, the first name if people want to opt into that, um, and also um, like if we have turned anyone away or if we preferred people on, so that helps us with like our demand management and looking at that. Um, we've just and um, we're trial we're prototyping and trialing at the moment a, a project called the Friend Voice project, which essentially is how do we take that data and get a bit a bit more richness to that data, so it tells us more information about you know, where did people again um, de-identified and, and whatnot, but you know where did people sleep last night? How do they hear about Orange Sky? What's that? What do they gain most out of Orange Sky? That's in its very initial phases stages because again we're very cognizant and conscious of being not judgmental having that open environment that anyone can come along to and engage with our, our service so i think that um but also we know that the richness of that data is gonna um not only for for us in terms of our service delivery but also for the, for homelessness and, and people doing it tough as a whole um, can have a tremendous impact so i think that um yeah we're really in, invested in making that um as effective as, as possible so um, just as we wrap up, Dr. Wilmot, um, your reflections um, perhaps on on Orange Sky um, as you continue to work through this research project around collective engagement for social purpose. What are the what are the key things for you? So I would say the one of the main ones is around this idea of maintaining engagement within a group over an extended period of time, which Orange Sky, again, is almost a um, great case study of, of understanding the different ingredients for maintaining momentum um, with engagement, not only, I suppose, at the funding level, but particularly at the at the friend and the volunteer level. Um, and I think one of the, the key things I wrote down is around relationships and almost building in that sense of ownership so that it's not Lucas or, or Nick that, um, you know, own Orange Sky, but almost allowing friends, volunteers and everyone within the Orange Sky community to have a sense of ownership um, and pride in the work that they're doing in order for them to keep coming back and, and giving their time Um you know, to helping make sure that Orange Sky continues to grow in the future and increase their impact over time. Um, and I think around that idea of sustainability and linking back to the innovative mindset, um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to continue to follow the work, I think, of Orange Sky to better understand how um, collective engagement can be made 
maintained over over a longer period of time. So, Lucas, it's yes, I think that collective action is one thing, but it, it does require leadership, and uh, certainly you and Nick have been able to lead very strongly, and I'm sure people are leading every day, but. Um, you know, the clarity th- th- with which you speak and you tell stories and you shape your direction, it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring, clearly. And, I, you know, you, to, to have had the impact that you've had, I think, um, comes, you know, reflects enormously well on, the, on your ability to be able to tell a story and to be able to solve a problem and to be able to direct people and the best of people um, towards helping others. So uh, what a great story and thank you so much for giving up some of your valuable time today to share it with us on this podcast series. And I'm sure people who are listening, who are trying to understand, well, how do we create collective impact? How do we bring people together? This has been a masterclass. So (laughs) thank you so much in the way that you've described what you've done and all the very best in the the days, weeks, months and and years ahead. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So there you have it, audience. Wow. <laughs> what a story. Um, but what a, you know, again, that just that humility, just, you know, coming out of Lucas in every action, every thought, every problem, every identification, you know, this notion of, you know, we're not going to call people clients. We're not going to call them customers. We're, none of that. They're our friends. And that builds that culture, doesn't it, in the organization that inspires people to get involved. So what a rich contribution to this podcast series and indeed to the work that um, uh, Dr. Wilmot and Professor Conjut are doing over there at the University of Adelaide on this Australian Research Council grant. So um, a big thanks to the uh, Australia Research Council also for enabling this research to take place. Uh, We have more conversations as we continue to follow this research program. But a big thanks to Lucas Patcher today. And once again, a big thanks to Dr. Taylor Wilmot. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with some more episodes. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.